Yeah, so let's get into the Word of God here. Exodus 20, last week or the week before last, there in uh, chapter 19, we saw the Lord moving Israel there to uh, Sinai, there to Mount Sinai, and uh, the Lord telling Moses, you know what, to keep the people back from the mountain and really sharing with them that he was, you know, going to speak with Moses and give us what we get here in Exodus 20, which is the Ten Commandments. And um, then we saw the Lord uh, telling Moses to go down and restrain the people from coming up. And even in the midst of the quaking and the thunders and, and all the things that really signified, you know, the power of God and even really the the judgment of God, because really the law is about judgment in many ways and, and you know, showing us that we are sinners, that even in the midst of that, the people were still tempted to to, to want to venture near. And, you know, it just kind of shows a picture of a fallen man, how, you know what, God gives a command, and even in the midst of um, understanding ramifications and so forth, how many times we still wander near to where we're not supposed to be and, and uh, such. So... Um, we get here to chapter 20 now tonight, and we actually see, you know, the Ten Commandments laid out. And I don't think we'll get through all ten of them tonight, um, but we want to dive into this and just kind of set some things up. Some stuff we've already talked about the last few weeks in here, but it's important that we talk about again, because when we talk about the law, we really want to emphasize why it was given and uh, be clear in that, because oftentimes with the law, people think that it was given so that you know, that's what we're supposed to keep to be right with God. And absolutely, God's moral law and the law is still intact in the sense of, you know, the Lord wants us to walk uprightly but uh, with His aid and His help. But, you know, we can't be justified by the law. And it's, it wasn't given to, you know, keep the golden rule so you're right with God. Uh, we'll see real clearly it was given to show us we're sinners and, and we need a Savior. And, uh, and, the, and other reasons too. So we'll, we'll lay out some of these. And then start into this and kind of look at it from the angle of, you know, again, exposing us to sinners, but also the truth laid out. And, and as believers, you know, that are saved by grace through faith and have received the Holy Spirit, uh, how, you know, we want to walk now in newness of life. And so we'll just talk about these things and, and practically how this applies to us and, um, you know, and, and, and how the Lord wants us to walk today, uh, drawing near to him. <laughs> <clears throat> being a people that don't go under a law that aren't legalistic, but absolutely a people that are wanting to be a set apart, wanting to walk in holiness and in, in the call that God has placed on us. So, uh, you know, his law gives us instructions and such that are good for us. So notice verse 1 there. <clears throat> Again, excuse me. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, and uh, again, setting up the chapter, knowing that he's going to give the Ten Commandments, I think it's worthy of stopping right there. God spoke all these words. And we got to understand and really know, again, these commands, these Ten Commandments, where do they have their origin? Not by men. A bunch of men didn't get together and say, hey, you know what, let's come up with a top ten list of things that people shouldn't do. Um, there's a lot of people that think that way, right? They think, oh, men just got together and made these things up and such. But these things were absolutely given by God. And these words were spoken by God. And uh, that should be something that really stirs our heart and something that we really want to remember no matter where we are in the Word, that this is God's Word given to us as the Holy Spirit moved upon men. 
And as we always talk about, you know what, and we'll even see tonight, uh, you know, in some verses we're going to look at, that, you know, God's word uh, establishes itself even in its nature and its prophetic nature and, and in the truth of it. I mean, you even look at these Ten Commandments that God gave and just so phenomenal, so powerful. I think if you just got a bunch of men together and they said, hey, let's come up with ten things not to do, it'd be all over the place, you know. Uh, but these are commandments that were given uh, that have been even the basis of so many governments, including our own, uh, that uh, absolutely there's a side of these things given to be that tutor to bring us to Christ, but also to help bring order even to cultures and so forth. And, uh, you know, with each of them, there's kind of umbrellas under them that fall under each of these commandments. But again, given by God and uh, given, uh, again, on part, as a tutor to show us that we need a savior because we can't keep these things. And I want to read the scripture with that just so if you're not familiar with it, you know this because some people aren't familiar with these things and they start finding out that the law was given to show us that we were sinners. And we'll see in a minute, it was also showed, given to increase sin, um, which is, you know, what uh, kind of wild when you, when you consider, you know, the fact that God doesn't want people to sin and yet, the law entered, we read in Romans 5.20, I'll just read it, it says, Moreover, the law entered that offenses might abound, uh, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that sin, that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Lord, even in giving these commandments, he knew that sin would even abound more. Uh, and the knowledge of sin with that would abound more. And it wasn't to bring more condemnation, because guess what? How many sins do you have to commit to be condemned? Only one, right? So it wasn't a matter of bringing more condemnation on men in, in the sense, though, I think you can store more wrath on your head the more that you reject truth, for sure, because God's word doesn't come back empty or void. And if you reject it, there's more of a wrath that is, you know what, placed on somebody. But man was already condemned. And so it wasn't a matter of making men more condemned by bringing the law, but again, offenses abound so that men would have more of an understanding, again, that they needed a savior, that they would be more aware of it. And again, and that is how the law is our tutor. Uh, how does someone know that they're breaking a law when they're speeding? Well, they're going 45 and they look up and they see a sign that says 25 speed limit, right? And that shows them as they compare the two, I'm breaking the law there, and then, you know, hopefully you don't go up to 50. Well, I'll show them here, but hopefully you slow down a little bit. Um, God's law, again, man was already in sin. When Adam sinned in the garden, we took on a sin nature. So again, the law was given that offenses may abound, and in those offenses abounding, again, it being a tutor to show men they needed that Savior. And again, praise God, where sin abounds, as we read, Grace abounds more as the offenses abounded. God didn't withdraw the promise of the Savior, but all the more it shows God's grace in that even man's knowledge of sin abounding and man's sinning abounding. God says, even all the more my grace will abound in still sending my son to die for you sinners to make a way for you to be saved. And the Galatians 3.21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For there had, if there had not been 
a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been given by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before, before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under the tutor. And we talk about this all the time. How again, before we came to Christ, we were under the law. And the law condemns us because we cannot keep that law. It shows us we're sinners, right? It was that teacher, and then Jesus Christ, who kept the law, is that Savior. And how do we go from being under the law to under grace? It's by faith. Not faith in anything. Everyone has faith, even people that say, I'm an atheist. They have faith because they are trusting in their car when they get around to drive and in the seat they sit in that it's not going to fall apart. But no, it's faith in Jesus and the finished work of the cross. And isn't it a good thing to know? Let me ask you tonight, is your faith in Jesus Christ? To know that you're no longer under that law that condemns you, but through faith in Christ who kept the law, again, the wages of sin is death, took the wrath through us upon himself, became sin for us, but death couldn't hold him. He rose from the grave, and now we're under grace. Also with this, though, listen, this is a wonderful way to share the gospel with people. And you guys have heard me do this over the years many times, and there's others that, you know, uh, Living Waters Ministry, Ray Comfort, does a wonderful job in training people up and teaching them to do what? To use the law to show people that they are sinners as that tutor. You know, because a lot of people you ask, you know, are you a good person? And, you know, for some reason, half the people out there say yes, or even more than half. And so what do you do? You take them to the law. And we'll start looking at these Ten Commandments here. Um, but, you know, they take them to the law. You know, what have you ever told a lie? And uh, it, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who says, I've never told a lie. Uh, there's some out there. There's some people, man, they're just crazy. They're full, so full, full of so much self-righteousness. Um, you know, but you, you never even told a little lie. Well, I probably told a white lie. And, you know, then the question, well, what that, what's that make you? And usually, oh, human. Well, no, by God's standard, it makes you a liar. And, you know, you take them through the law. Have you ever lusted in your heart? Well, Jesus, if you do that, you're an adulterer. And have you ever stole anything? Well, a candy bar when I was a kid. Well, by God's standard, you're a thief. So, you know, you're a lying, adultering thief. Do you still think you're right with God? And it's amazing. Again, people begin to realize. They begin to think. And they begin to see. Because this isn't, again, this wasn't written by man. This is God's word. And God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And God's word brings a conviction upon people. You know, it, it's, it's the gospel, it's the power of God and the salvation. And yes, the gospel is Christ crucified and raised from the dead, but it's not just that on its own. It's the reason why he had to do that, because we're sinners. That he had to do that to make that way of salvation. The meaning behind that and why he did that. And so again, spoken by God, the law given as that tutor, that even sin would abound, that even all the more men would know they need a savior. It's kind of like, you know, it, there could be a, a, a minor problem, you know, with, with your vehicle and you're not really too aware of it, but you start getting multiple problems and all those, you know what, uh, lights start la- lighting up on your dashboard. Then you all of a sudden you realize, listen, I need to get this car to a mechanic or someone who can fix it, right? And so the law was given so that all these lights would start coming on so that men would realize I need to get them, 
the, the mechanic, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, the law, though, was also given absolutely to bring order to culture, to bring some order to Israel. And we need to know that. Again, that's not the primary reason. The primary reason was to show us that we were sinners. But absolutely, these things were given to help Israel govern and to help even future nations like our own to govern people. I mean, whose standards do we want to govern our nation and to make our laws? Do we want it to be men getting together like we're seeing today? Or do we want to, you know what, go back to, and I, and I know there's controversy about our founding fathers, you know what, were they Christians, were they Masons, was it Christians and Masons together, Illuminati, what were they, and some of these writings, these guys' writings, you don't know what they are by them, but absolutely God's word played a huge part in laying the laws of our nation. That's, you, you can't argue that. And I think served this nation well for many, many years. And now what are you seeing? You're seeing men that are lawless. Men that don't have a fear of God. These judges and whatnot getting together and making their own laws. And, and what do you see? You see a difference between laws being established based on God's word and a nation trying to establish things on God's word Versus men that are godless and lawless and rebellious against God. And what are we seeing now? We're seeing things turn upside down, literally. I mean, stuff that, you know what, I never thought I'd see. Evil called good and good evil. So absolutely, God's word and his law was given as well to help nations govern. You know, with this, which, is, which I, I find interesting is the Antichrist, one of the names for him is what? The man of lawlessness. He has no regard for order. Listen, he has no regard uh, for God, and he's against order, and absolutely he's against the tutor of the law to bring people uh, to Jesus Christ. And you better believe that the enemy is 100% against having God's Ten Commandments in school, in government houses, uh, you know what, in courts of law. He wants that out. He doesn't want that there. Because when men look at that and, listen, if they really want to read it and compare their life by it, what's it going to be? It's going to be that tutor to show them that they are sinners and they need a Savior. On top of that as well, again, he is lawless. He wants disorder. He wants chaos. He not only is aiming for the souls of men to keep them from eternity from God, but he absolutely wants to create as much chaos as he possibly can here on earth of getting men to walk in lawlessness as well and having cultures that are lawlessness just to create more disorder, to bring more misery. I mean, he comes to still kill and destroy, does he not? And again, read there in 2 Thessalonians 5, and it talks about, again, the Antichrist being the man of lawlessness in verse 9 there in fact it says the coming of the lawless one is according to the workings of satan now praise god you know what's awesome though about this is that even in the enemy even the enemy doing everything he can to try to you know what put down or get god's word god's ten commandments out of the schoolhouse out of courthouses and so forth um praise god that he can't stop the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And as God's word 
convicts men as written. We also don't, though, read in Romans that, you know, the knowledge of God is written on the hearts of men. And we read in John 16, 8 about the Holy Spirit. It says, Jesus said, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment of sin because they do not believe me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And absolutely, we got to know as Christians and as people who care about the souls of others, amen, that the Holy Spirit of God absolutely is putting a conviction on people. And that's where, again, when we take God's law, God's sin commandments, and we open it up and with that aim of saying, listen, I want to show you this to be a tutor to bring them to the Lord. Not only is it the word of God, but then the Holy Spirit on top of that is convicting people. This is why people oftentimes get so upset. This is why when people, people oftentimes get so upset when, you know, the mention of Jesus or God's word are opening up because there's a conviction on them. And you know what? They respond in a manner that's hostile that they don't with other things because, you know, these other things aren't you know what, being pressed on them by the Spirit of God, and it's not them running from the light into darkness, and you know what, are of the darkness itself as well. So it's amazing how comfortable people are with those things versus God's Word, again, God's law, and so forth. And is that even not all the more, and I think we can all bear witness to that truth, it's even all the more affirmation that this is the Word of God. I know it is for me. Verse 2, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So the Lord reminds them of who he is and how he had delivered them. And absolutely, we always want to remember who he is and how he delivered us as well. And we just talked about that through the work of the cross. And now as we begin to go into these actual commandments, you know what, we see that they're, they're, they're cohesive in themselves, but at the same time too, they're divided. And we see Jesus teaching this. Um, you know, when he's asked about the law of God, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-five, 35, it says, Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him, or asked Jesus a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And so he's referring here to these Ten Commandments. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then the Lord said, on these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. And so we'll see here as we go in here, these first four commandments directly deal with man and God. And man's attitude towards God, attitude towards God, and man's relationship with God. And then you see these other six have to do with man's interaction with one another, which absolutely still has to do with man interacting with God as well. Um, and so the Lord simplified this. You know, if you love the Lord, Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And he says, on these things, hold these commandments. And you know what? That's why we're so much better as believers focusing in on the Lord because we're going to love him more the more we learn his love for us than the actual law itself. Though absolutely we want to be aware of God's heart and God's mind for us. Now, notice the first one. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. I want to read to you Isaiah 46, uh, 8 through 10. He says, remember this. 
and show yourself, man. Recall to mind, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning uh, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it and I will bring it to pass. I have proposed it. I will also do it. And so much truth there. Again, prophetic truth, prophetic proclamation that he declares the end from the beginning. His counsel stands. And absolutely, as he declares here, I am God and there is no other. And we got to know that. And it seems, you know, like a simple thing. Yes, he's God. Uh, There is None other like him, again, uh, and yet this is a commandment that is so easy to transgress. You think this would be easy to keep, and yet it's so easy to transgress, transgress because, listen, you shall have no other gods before me. There's a difference oftentimes between our profession and where our heart is and where our actions are. I'm sure tonight, you know, if we went around the room and we asked the question, who's your God? Every one of us would say, you know, in this room, I look around, I think, I know everyone here. We would say, well, you know, the Lord's my God. And listen, I wouldn't at all question the fact that, again, you've put your faith in Jesus and he's your Lord, your Lord and Savior. And, and again, we're saved by grace through faith and praise God, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But listen. Practically, our God is who we're worshiping, who we're heeding. What's our master passion? And when man fell in the garden, listen, he fell at the lie of Lucifer or Satan, who his fall came because he said, listen, I want to be God. God who had made him. God who had created all things. Somewhere in his mind, he got the idea that I can become God. Isaiah 14, 12, and we're going somewhere with this. He says, you have fallen, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground, you weaken the nations. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. <clears throat> I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend to the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. And you go to 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and it talks about the Antichrist. In verse 4 it says, He who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, and he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So Satan fell wanting to be God, and we even read again when the man of lawlessness comes, he's going to be possessed by Satan. He's going to sit there and say, I'm God. And then we know when man fell, and again, we talk about this all the time. Satan said, if you eat of the tree, you won't die. God knows the day if you eat of it, you will be like God. And what did man do? He ate of that tree wanting to be like God. And that says something about our sin nature. We have a God complex. We want to be little gods. The Bible talks about worshiping the God of your belly. And when it talks here about having no other gods before me, listen, I think the biggest troublemaker in this is ourselves. 
worshiping ourselves, heeding ourselves, our master passion being ourselves. And it's so easy in a very selfish world that we are living in to feed the God of our belly continually at every turn. When the Bible talks about perilous times of men being lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, listen, if we're lovers of pleasure, then what are we? We're lovers of ourselves. We're worshiping ourselves. We're honoring ourselves, uh, doing what's right in our own eyes. How do we combat this? What do we do with this? I love Numbers 19.39. He says, And you shall have a tassel that you may look upon it, and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, that you may not follow the harlotry, notice here, to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. That's huge. Our heart and our eyes are inclined to harlotry. And again, the first sense of that, again, is having other gods before the Lord. He says, and that you remember and do all my commandments, be holy for your God, for I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God for I am the Lord your God. So how do I practically, again, combat putting other gods before the Lord? Do I focus on, I better not do that? No, I need to focus on the word of God and who my God is. Taking my thoughts captive. Who is my master passion today? Who am I worshiping today? Who am I heeding today? Who am I loving today? Is it the Lord or is it myself? And when that's the case, again, again, listen, We're saved by grace through faith, period, but we want to walk in that newness of life. I don't want to put another God before God, do you? We don't want to do that. And can we agree that we are prone to put ourselves before the Lord? To make ourselves our own little gods? Again, maybe not in the sense of saying, I am deity, or God's everywhere and everything, all this nonsense, this kind of new spirituality that is just based on lies coming into much of Christianity. You know what, I don't think that we're in a place like that, but very easily, listen, we fall into that place of heeding our own counsel and, you know, putting our own personal pleasures and everything else above the Lord, and I don't want to be in that spot. Does that mean we can't enjoy things and such? No, of course not. And so how do I combat this? How do we combat it? We need to get God's word before us. He's here, remember the word of God. Remember who our God is. Put God's word before us. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. And again, the law here is not given to us to run our good time. This is given to us to protect us. Life's found when we got our eyes on Jesus Christ, when we're abiding in him, when we're yielding to him. But listen, when I'm yielding to doing what's right in my own eyes, something bad's going to happen. There might be some temporary pleasure there, but we're, we're, headed, we're headed for the edge. I could do this well tonight because I got the edge over to my right. Now notice verse 4. It's kind of along the same lines, but different. He says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I am the Lord your God, I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, 
but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me to keep my commandments. And so he's talking about idolatry here. And again, this would be things that, though this draws close to what we just read, other gods before our God, then idolatry would be literal things that we are worshiping in the sense that we are putting them above God himself. Now, there are times in past and there are still cultures today where literal little idols are made and people bow down to them. And it'd be very easy for us in the West to maybe say, well, we don't ever do that. You know, I don't got a little tiki I'm worshiping or something like that. But listen, there's no difference between that and worshiping material things, worshiping stuff, uh, things that take precedence over him. Um, you know what, where maybe our Christianity is kind of like a shelf and we got all this stuff on there and, and all these things were involved and we got God in that shelf too and all these things kind of, you know what, are, are, are equal. Well, it could be very well, very easy that, that, you know what, these are all idols in our life. And perhaps some of those things are even good things, but again, if they are competing with God and God being God, then there's something that, that, that needs to be put in its proper spot underneath his lordship versus competing with his lordship or at even times getting in front of his lordship. Now, listen, our world, again, loves worshiping idols. They love worshiping the things they make. They love worshiping the things that they do. It goes back to what we already talked about, men. Again, part of our full, fallen nature, the God of our own belly. And I was just thinking about this. My mind went to Revelation when we see all those plagues happening and all of these bowls of wrath and trumpets and so forth. And listen to Revelation 19.20 in the midst of the wrath of God being poured out. It says, but the rest of man who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which neither can be seen nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Listen, again, our sin nature loves idols. And these men in the midst of all of this going on, angels in the, you know, at Heavenly's preaching the gospel and the 144,000 and the two witnesses and again, the wrath of God being poured out, they still cleave to their idols, these things made by their hands versus bending knee and saying, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now as believers, we read, Again, we've turned from these things, really acknowledging Jesus as our Lord. It was a profession to say, I'm going to turn from worshiping things other than him. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9, it says, For thee themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath of God. And so again, when we came to Christ, it was a profession, I'm turning from these things. But again, as believers, it's amazing. We're still warned to keep ourselves from these things. 1 John 5, 21, little children, keep yourself from idols. And he says, amen. And so again, these are things we got to watch our heart. I think it's very easy to slip into idolatry. It's very easy to slip into that place where we're putting a God before God. We're putting the God of our belly before the Lord. And again, this isn't God laying these things out to ruin our lives or take away from, again, our good time, but to direct and lead us into truth. Once we become followers of 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it also says that he's jealous. And so God is jealous when we are putting things in our life that are, you know what, competing with him. And this isn't a, again, an ungodly jealousy. We talked about this in, in Corinthians. This is God's jealousy and that he loves us so much. When we entered into that covenant with him, it was like a marriage covenant. And he knows he has what's best for us. And so praise God when we get into this place of idolatry or worshiping the God of our own belly, God doesn't just sit by, but he goes after us because he cares about us. And he knows what he has for us is so much better than that idol can offer. And so much better with the God of our own belly doing what's right in our own eyes can offer. And uh, you know what? That's something that we can rejoice in. Now notice as well we read... Let me come back to it here. Notice as well, again, we read about the images, and he says, I am the Lord your God, a jealous God. And then notice what he says, visiting iniquity on the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. And so there's weightiness here. He's talking about generational sin and consequences. If you want to worship idols, he's saying here, listen, there's going to be a consequence to the third and fourth generation, practically, because generally kids are going to learn from their parents. Also, spiritually, the Bible talks about familiar spirits. And you better believe if you are worshiping idols or there's things that come before the Lord, there are spirits that are behind those things wanting to, again, turn our attention from the living God to these things that are going to perish. And as Parents, again, being the, the heads of those households and so forth, we have a duty and a way to be gatekeepers to our homes. And if we just open the door and let these things come in, again, he's talking about a generational sin, our sin affecting our children. Praise God. He also though, talks about generational blessings and generational mercy. And again, he says, you know, to the thousandth. And isn't it awesome that, you know what, he talks about the curse to the third and fourth, but again, he talks about, read it again, he talks about showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And that's where those curses get broke. When we come to him, when we yield to him, and I pray for my kids all the time, listen, I, I, I want them to walk in, in you know, at newness of life. And those generational sins that have been passed down that I can even look at my family tree and see how they've been passed on and so forth. You know what? That, that it's broken and we move from the cursings to the blessings. And I know we need the grace of God in that and uh, absolutely his aid. One other note with this because we won't get to it tonight. But the fifth commandment is to honor your father and mother. But we got to remember the second commandment, really in part, is parents not provoking their children to wrath. Because he's talking about idolatry, you know, and, and curses to your children. This is Ephesians 6, 4, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admission of the Lord, not bringing them up in idolatry. And I firmly believe that, you know what, there, there's a, a mass exodus of young people from the church and people do all these surveys. We're going to try to figure out why this is the case. And they come up with all these different reasons. And 
well, you know what, the kids are believing we came from monkeys and all this kind of stuff. God's word exposes it right here. I believe that that's happening mainly because there's so many homes that profess Christ but really bend knee to idols and they serve the God of their own belly, not the God of heaven. And perhaps they're even believers, but they're not walking in that righteousness. And if you want to raise a kid in a home where, again, we profess the Lord, but we bend knee to idols, you're going to provoke them to wrath because you know what they're going to say? This is a form of godliness and it denies the power. They're going to say, this is powerless, this is fake. And I got this pull over here of my flesh to want to go out and satisfy it. That looks far more appealing than this phoniness over here. So listen, us parents, we better be careful. We start quoting the fifth commandment. We better take heed to the second. And we better make sure that we're not provoking them to wrath, that we don't have a a home full of idols and we're not serving the God of our own belly. Because if we are, that rebellion that's coming from them, it may be very more the reason it's coming from because we're provoking it. Again, I, I, I'm not the judge, I'm not the jury, but I do know this over the years. And, and again, I want to say this carefully. I've known believers who, again, and the Bible says you know them by their fruits, who had a profession, but boy, their, their homes seem to be heap full of idols and there seemed to be very little passion for the Lord. And now their kids don't walk with the Lord at all and they want to put the blame more so upon their kids than look at perhaps this is more so because of their own idolatry and, and lack of reverence for God. Now again, we can't broad brush this because again, children grow up and they become their own person and they do their own thing. And there's plenty that are raised in godly homes that go and do their own things and there's some that raise in, in godly ones and they walk with the Lord. So what we want to do this tonight is just look at us here in this room and say, listen, am I provoking my kid to wrath? Do I have a home full of idols? Do I have a home full of, again, other gods? Because there's going to be a ramification to the third and fourth generation. Again, this was not written by men. These are the words of God, right? Quickly here, verse 7. I want to give us a little time of prayer, so I don't know, we might not get through the first four here. That's okay. He says, you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not upheld, uphold the guiltless uh, who takes his name in vain. You know, this is real simple. Listen, God's name is not to be thrown around in an unreverent way. And when we start talking about, talking about God's name in vain, I think often as we go to the curse words, you know, which, you know, has been around so long and to me, again, it's another validity or another thing that, that validifies that, that, that God is God and Jesus Christ is God because you don't hear people hitting their, their thumb with a hammer saying, oh, Buddha or oh, Muhammad. You just don't see it. But you see a rebellion of men wanting to curse the Lord. But listen, taking his name in vain isn't just that. It's just using his name loosely. Listen, when you're texting, if you drop an OMG, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. You're using it in, in, a, in a manner that's not reverent. You're not using it in a manner that's worshiping. It's, it's an opposite manner. You're making light of his name. You're, you know what? It's, 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 it's not, again, giving his name honor and glory. But it's just throwing it out there just like another word, just like another phrase. And 
I, I think that we're living in a culture today where it happens so often and even things like OMG or someone saying, Lordy, 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 or whatever, something like that. You're taking God's name in vain. He's not Lordy. <laughs> He's the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross. And listen, listen, he even honors his word above his own name. And so if we're not going to honor his name, the next step very easily, if we're not already there, if we don't honor his name, is we're not going to honor his word. And if we get into not honoring his word, nothing good comes out of that. Again, Psalm 38.2, you've magnified your word above your own name. Listen, also with this, when we're talking about people that don't know the Lord and we're taking them to the law, this is a great one to take them. Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? And listen, everyone has. Very easy way to show them they're sinners, that they need a Savior. You start getting an adultery and stuff, I, you know, a, a lot of people don't know what that is. It may take a whole Bible lesson to teach them what a, a, idolatry is. But have you taken the Lord's name in vain? And there's a conviction with that. The Holy Spirit will convict that. Again, He's the Lord. This is written by God. We're talking about the Spirit of God. And God wanting the people to come to the Lord. Again, he gave the law as a tutor to bring these people, to bring us before we know the Lord to him. And then verse 8 here. In fact, let's just, let's just stop there. And, and uh, the next is about the Sabbath. And uh, I want to spend time on this. Because again, in the Sabbath, we're going to see the, 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 the Sabbath, the shadow. Uh, but Jesus is the substance. And the only real rest is found in the substance in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, let's just stop there, though. Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We just thank you for who you are. And Lord, absolutely, we thank you that you loved us so much that even when man sinned there, that you gave the promise of the Savior to come who would crush that serpent's head. And then, Lord, you wrote your law in men's hearts and you gave the law to show men and to show us we are sinners and that we needed the Savior. And Jesus, we just thank you again that you fulfilled the law and you conquered sin and death. And what a wonderful thing to know that we're no longer under, but under grace through faith in you. And listen, tonight, if you're not in that place, it's time to put trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. To confess that you've transgressed God's law and that you're a sinner and you need the Savior. You need Jesus who kept the law who defeated sin, death, and Satan at his death at the cross and at his resurrection. And it's time to say, listen, I am ready to turn from putting other gods before you. And Jesus, I want you to be my God. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Wash me and cleanse me and forgive me. And he absolutely will meet you where you're at. And Lord God, we absolutely want to heed this counsel, even in First John, to keep ourselves from idols. And to keep ourselves from, Lord, putting other things before you. And absolutely, Lord, to give reverence to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the name that, uh, Lord, every tongue will confess one day and every knee will bow. And so help us in this, Lord. And I, I, I know, Lord, we're gathered here tonight because we do want you to be first, God. Lord, we don't want to serve idols. But our flesh nature, as we read, it is... It is Lord, ingrained in our flesh, God, to, to, to rebel. So help us, Lord. And Lord, we know that, Lord, your word, the psalmist said, your word I've hidden in my heart that I won't sin against you. And so, Lord, even renew our minds and build our faith that we can walk in the newness of life that we have in our salvation 
by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we ask and pray these things tonight in Jesus' name, and we said together, amen. Hey, we got about 10 minutes before the kids get out, so you know what, you're welcome to get in some groups and pray and encourage one another, and then uh, um, go get your kids after that, I guess. And, uh, God bless you.